Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. Paul Roach with you once again. Well, in fact, finally, once again, after our, our winter break, just to euphemistically describe three or four months of, of being away from the mic, and it's, it is great to be back. Uh, some explanations will follow shortly, but first, let me bring back in some very good friends and colleagues in Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Good to see you back. G'day, Paul. G'day, Simon. Hi, everybody. And uh, Simon Johnson. G'day. Good to see you here at Fawning Against Mission Control as well. You too, Rochi. I've missed you. It's great to be back. Oh, thank you, mate, so much. But, fellas, it looks like this show does have some serious key person risks that we'll uh, we'll have to address. I toddle off to Europe for three months, and uh, everything has to go on hold. Have a good hard look at yourselves. We, we just fell apart, didn't we? Hopeless. I, Steve? The- I think you completely misunderstand what happened. <laughs> we knew that if we ran a show without you, you would be devastated by the quality that you couldn't keep up with. So we decided... Just, I'm sorry to say this in public, for in front of everyone, but you brought it up. For your own sake, we decided to wait for you to come back. Very good of you, and I'm no, I've got no doubt I would be <laughs> horrified by the quality, Steve-O. So, <laughs> yeah, look, a lazy couple of days at the Fifth Ashes Test at the Oval, a Women's Ashes one day at Bristol. Here we go. Italian Grand Prix, a Rugby World Cup game, Wallabies Fiji, and we didn't win any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have the boxing kangaroo at each, Had each? The, had yeah. the boxing kangaroo flag well out, Jono, exactly. Yeah, so uh, we were the bad luck charm, if that's the right term, for all those events. I did sneak in Lazio to Reno uh, just a couple of days before we flew out, and we being the home side, which obviously I had to go for because you've got to be a brave person to go for the away team, we won that one, 2-zip. So, um, those Lazio fans can be a bit crazy. I think just Serie A generally. Mm. I'll give you European football fans generally. So good trip, Rochi. Tan and relaxed. Good to be back. Excellent. Well, they're, they're actually more freckles than tan, but I'm glad from the, this distance it looks like tan. Uh, yeah, it was kind of surreal that we actually uh, did that. Dragging the family around Europe. It's good fun. A good fun. Uh, ahead of the show, we will debrief on the state of the rugby union, uh, examine some recent solid defensive play from Cricket Australia. And uh, look at the new Olympic sports that are being introduced for LA in 2028, amongst other things. Naturally, we'll be wrapping it all up with red card, yellow card. You can get involved by using the hashtag RCYC on your favourite social media outlet to let us know if you see any sporting people mixed up in some sort of indiscretion or others. Those socials are on Twitter at, oh, it's called X these days. I've got, to update, I've got to update X. the notes. Yeah. Uh, whatever that thing is called these days, at for and against, underscore. Then on Insta, four dot and dot against. Do we still use Insta, Jono? We'll have to ramp that back up again, won't we? Straight back into it, Rich. Good, good. You're our minister for Insta. Yep. I got hold of Insta while we're away, as you as you know. So mm-hmm. it's a, not a bad little tool, it's actually, is it? Good content from you, Rich. Yeah. It's good to see. Yeah, some Welcome sporting... to, you know, t- 2023. <laughs> I want to know, Paul, are you, are you going to be calling it Twitter or X? Oh, look, it's hard to go away from Twitter because every time you see it mentioned in any sort of communication, in media, they say X, you know, formerly known as Twitter. They, they, everyone is still saying, you know, what used to be known as Twitter, to, so everyone can understand what what they're talking about. Other- well, if everyone's saying it, Paul, then fair enough. Yeah. that's how it's yeah. going to be. Now, this is this is going to transition, and it's going to move. You know, they've got grand plans to take over the world. Yeah. The X yes, so. yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, they're the social media channels. Get yourself involved. Uh, but for now, let's get into the show. And we kick off, uh, no pun intended really, uh, with rugby. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty on rugby, can I just say what genius timing from both World Rugby and the ICC for putting on their respective World Cups on in October. 
which is usually the most fallow time in Australian sports viewing calendar. Uh, that bit between the footy ending and the, the cricket starting, what a, what, a, what a boon. Very generous of them. I yeah. mean, not that it really helped the rugby fans, obviously. Not yes, a lot for the Wallabies fans to, to watch. But yeah, the cricket seems to be trundling all okay. All yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, perhaps it wasn't such a great idea overlapping, but uh, Steve, have you enjoyed them uh, being in, in October to, on together? Well, I, it, sort of, a little bit. I mean, not really, because Australia are not playing a particular... You know, they're not playing anything that resembles rugby at the that, moment, that be, so it's not enjoyable be past at all. tense, mate. Our experience uh, the World Cup is in past tense very much. Well, well, let me just go future tense for just a second. Please. So, you know, just uh, over the last week or two, they've started uh, apparently lobbying... And I believe they've got agreement from World Rugby to start the 2027 World Cup right here in Australia in October, possibly on the weekend of the uh, NRL and AFL Grand Finals. Mm. But th- they've they've deliberately pushed it back so that it would be less overlap and competition in Australia. So they've they've heard your prayers, Paul. Mm. You know, once again, you're influencing the world of sport Absolutely. just through your sheer thoughts. Absolutely. And... Uh, Yep, that's the plan. It's clear that a lot of people in various very senior positions in world sport listen to for and against. Mm. Go on, Steve. Actually, one more thing, while, while I, just while I'm in that future topic, they're, they're also looking at increasing the number of teams who are in the competition. Oh, <laughs> well, no, it's a good plan. It's just to make sure that Australia gets through the next <laughs> round out of the group stages. <laughs> Doesn't the host does the host automatically qualify like in the in, in the, the <laughs> for the quarterfinals? Yeah. <laughs> no, we just need to automatically qualify for the pool groups. I think we're okay. Uh, and look, so to this point, so I mean, what a disaster the World Cup was for Australia, as you say, there, Steve. But look, is it any wonder that performance, given the way the game has been administered across the last two decades, and we've charted that course fairly regularly here on For and Against? Now, Steve, you love firing the occasional pot shot at sporting administrators. Curious as to your thoughts. Do you concur with that view that this is just the inevitable result of yep. you know, how rugby's been treated in this country? Yep, you reap what you sow. And uh, literally, if we try and extend that metaphor to sowing and reaping grassroots, uh, you know, Rugby Australia stopped doing that, uh, well, almost two decades ago, and they're paying the price. I think, I think poor old Eddie Jones is, is copying the major scapegoating, the scapegoating for it. Yeah. But, but it's, it's not him. It's this huge gap between club rugby and international rugby, and you know, we, we just don't give ourselves a chance. We really it's don't. It's interesting. If Malcolm Knox in the uh, oh, the nine newspapers not that long ago wrote an interesting article, and Steve, you talked about the chasm between club rugby and the, the upper echelon, and he sort of hit the nail on the head with a number of things. I don't have a copy in front of me, but basically it said that, you know, at the, oh, I think officially there's 140,000 people that play rugby in the country, um, and, you know, the vast majority of them uh, take part in a lively lively game, a lively, lively sport, but it's all club level and there's this massive disconnect between club and and country, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, occasionally, John, I don't know about yourself, but you might go past Manly Oval while there's a, a shoot shield game going on and there's there's plenty of people there and, it, and even, you know, the, the private schoolboy rugby, that's very well attended. So at, at one level, it's actually still a, quite a popular sport. I think that's right. I mean, at that grassroots level, there is a core group of, you know, players and fans that will always uh, support rugby, but I think it's got some fundamental difficulties, not just at the administration level. So we can talk about Hamish McLennan, the chairman of the AAU. He's had an absolute shocker over the past year or so. Tried to do the private equity play that didn't go badly, mm. so he put put did, it did go badly. Would it went exceptionally badly? Did it? Didn't happen. Yeah, so put it up uh, for sale effectively, like New Zealand Rugby sold twenty percent of um, um, New Zealand Rugby. 
nothing happened. So they put it out to seven different PE firms by all reports and no one was prepared to put mm. in money that the AAU were considering. There was a gap, I think, just a small gap in between what they were looking for and what they were going, being offered. No, no deal was struck. And so instead he's going to take on $60 bucks in debt. So you know, there's problem number one, the game's in, in serious debt. Problem number two, I think, is the TV rights deal. It's a terrible one at the moment. As I said, they have one. Right. Yeah, I mean, what are they getting? $30, 40000000 bucks a year. It's just peanuts compared to the other major sporting codes. And Hamish McLennan would say, well, we're going to negotiate a better one once the British Lions tour happens in a couple of years, once we have a home World Cup. But I'm just not sure that the game is going to survive yeah. that long. I mean, it'll be around. But is it going to survive as a competitive winter code in Australia? Mm. And look, there's opportunity ahead, as you allude to there, John. So, I mean, you know, there's this belief that the opportunity that came out of the 2003 World Cup, the hosting thereof, was squandered. So we've got a few events coming up. We've got in 2025, we've got the Lions Tour. 2027, we've got the Men's World Cup, as you say, John. And in 2029, we've got the Women's World Cup. And I, I think that, you know, if the Football World Cup was any, any example, that's no trifle. That has the potential to potential to material impact, you know, rugby Australia's bottom line. And, you know, while we're talking six years ahead here for that, that, that the last of those three tournaments, there's a bit of runway there. There's some planning that can be done. There's some, you know, it, but it's bits of now and ever, if a six-year span can be called now. It is. And, I mean, I think for rugby to do well in Australia, you need the national team or teams to be playing well. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, whenever the Wallabies were playing well, rugby just seemed to be okay. Wallabies are ranked 10th in the world. It's embarrassing at the moment. You talked about the pool exit. We lost to Fiji. You compared I was there. Indeed. Thanks, Richie. Couldn't bring us home. It was your fault. Yeah, the bad luck, John. Sorry. Compare it to our, you know, rugby's winter competitors. The NRL's taking the game to Las Vegas. The AFL just negotiated a massive TV rights deal is stronger than ever. Football, you know, it's got its issues when it comes to the the national game, but, you know, mm. the, the soccer is playing well. I just, I, I just need to disagree with you on so many levels there, Simon. I think, you know, the, the Australian team is the result. It's not the reason why people losing interest in, in rugby. You know, the the NRL, going to Vegas, who cares? It's it's a club game which has, uh, you know, it has state of origin, but no one cares about the international level. It's got the regular stories, week in, week out. State rugby's killed rugby in Australia. It used to be that you can fight your way into a team from good form in the clubs, find yourself into the state teams. There were stories every week about someone making their debut, someone on on fire, someone holding their spot, challenging for a spot. Now you've got a contract and you know, no one's challenging you for your spot. Nick White's been the halfback for Australia purely because he's got a contract to be the halfback and every time they try and put someone else in, they don't have time. There's no competition that allows the, the, the grassroots people to have a dream to fight that bit harder, to work their way up and work their way up and get into the Australian team. And that, to me, is what's lacking, the stories. I, I, no, I, I agree with part of that. But I think one of the fundamental issues rugby has is you don't have that pipeline because it's a dying sport. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, mums and dads don't want their kids to be playing rugby. There is the concussion risk, more so with rugby than any other Australian winter sport that is out there. And I think that's what's, you know, a really major problem for rugby that it's going to have to confront over the next five or six years, not just in Australia, but I think the world game will confront that as well. Riddle me this. Is the game getting less entertaining to watch? You know, I, I, I complain about, you know, the, the third umpire, you know, bringing the play back 50 metres for a penalty that only a, a pedant could see in the first place and think that the game is, is losing its appeal. All 
and I have a number of British and South African friends. Yeah. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> I have a number of British and South African friends who tell me that the game is not actually deteriorating. It's just you Australians can't stand losing. Well, it's quite popular. It, it, if someone was trying to tell me it's one of the fastest growing sports internationally. Now, I mean, that just might be lies down lies in statistics and maybe Namibia's, you know, got a whole lot more players than it used to be, or to, to sort of exaggerate the point slightly. But it does seem to be in reasonable health globally. I mean, it, some of the English clubs have had financial difficulties. I recognise that. But if you just think of the game itself, um, you know, it's, it's, it's in reasonable nick, I think, as a... As a spectacle, on the whole, I've never been a massive rugby fan, right? But it's there's a, there's a bit to it. And look, if if you could do something about the scrums and prevent a, any reset of scrums, and you know, there's a whole lot of technical penalties that, that drive everyone bonkers. But you know, it's it's still okay as a spectacle. I think that, I think that the challenge that we're talking about is, is Australian specific. Uh, the, the rugby is not going down the tubes as a sport globally. The Rugby World Cup is still sought after by countries. It's still attended by spectators. It's still I haven't seen ratings figures, but I'm sure it's still their healthy numbers. The problem we've got is Australian-specific. It's because of the administration, squandering opportunities. Jono, maybe the, the parents being concerned about, you know, little Johnny or little Jane. But also, you know, and again, we've documented this on this show before, is the the efficiency with which the AFL has gone into the private school system in this country. And, is, you know, very eviscerated is probably a, a too strong a word, but very much challenged rugby for talent. And it's also then... Uh, because of the TV deal, rugby league then able to poach, uh, you know, talent at will from from rugby. You can come up through the rugby system in Australia, and that's great. You might get a Super Rugby spot if that's still operating. I'm not sure. It doesn't really make the screens or or get the interest to, to, to your point, Steve. That did a long time ago. Um, whereas there's how many rugby league clubs? Is 18 um, and times times 13 positions plus 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 more. A lot more money going around there. Heck of a lot more. So yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's Australian specific. So with that pause, with with no response to that, I might move on. Uh, in a different sort of World Cup, it was interesting to see the All Blacks are still the most valuable brand in rugby, uh, and there's been some hefty increases uh, since the 2019 World Cup, which is the comparison point. And I must say, I forget the uh, organisation that does this analysis, but there's plenty of sort of. Um, Businesses on the fringe of sport that uh, that run the numbers on these kind of things. So the All Blacks, uh, as I, as I mentioned, maintained number one spot. Their brand value rose fifty two percent apparently since uh, the twenty nine World twenty yeah twenty nineteen sorry uh, World Cup. Um, so this is very much around sponsorship and and revenue and, and marketing and so forth. But a lot of it is is the sponsorship. Uh, any guesses for second? They maintain second place. Irish. Uh, they're the big movers on the charts. Uh, England maintains second place, but again, up, up 71%. France maintain, maintains third place. And yes, Ireland, Jono, uh, rockets up to fourth place with some, I think it's about a 90-odd percent jump in their, their mm. brand value. So, And Wales actually is the, uh, rounds out the top five. No massive surprise there. The Silver True. Fern's always been, uh, you know, exceptionally well regarded, hasn't it? Uh, the what, the Blacks. The All Blacks. Y- yes, indeed. Um, you, you threw me right out there, Jono. Well done. Yeah, so no mention of Australia in that list. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look down the list far enough. Hasn't been a good time. No, it, did, it, it didn't go far enough. It was yeah. brand finance, by the way, that did thank, the report. And, and I think uh, to follow up on Simon's comment about Silver Lake not investing in Australian rugby, they look like they've certainly got their money's worth out of New Zealand rugby. Indeed, private equity, smart money—they know what they're doing. So good luck, Rugby Australia. 
On to the shootout now, where we cover a few more topics in slightly shorter fashion, although I'll be interested to see whether we manage to truncate this conversation about cricket. Speaking of World Cups, we've moved from rugby to cricket. How good is a 50-over game? It lives. It survives. It's dead. It's great. It's unreal. So dead. You can't, so dead. Look, it's, it, the only reason it's not, well, I've said this before, is because of the Cricket World Cup. You can't have test matches as for a World Cup. We've tried, we haven't even tried because there's no point bothering. The 2020 is too hit and giggle. Look, maybe in a generation's time, T20 will be the World Cup. But for the foreseeable future, the 50-over game is it, guys. And you just got to face facts. And it's fine. It's fine. You enjoying it? Yeah. You know, people racking up totals of three fifty or four hundred. Yeah, the Netherlands getting bowled out for seventy or eighty. Yeah, well, how you know, good? That's, how good? That, that's, but it's you know they're, they're obviously not expected to do well. It's like saying it's like when Australia plays the Netherlands in the rugby world. Actually, no, not a good example. When South Africa plays the Netherlands in the <laughs> rugby world cup. Yeah, but look, not even India can fill stadiums to watch 50, uh, 50 yeah. over cricket anymore. Yeah. It is. It's done. It's, it's let it let it lie. That this is its last hurrah. Could only happen in in India. There'll be no more. It'll be twenty twenty from now on. No, no, it's it's contracted for certainly the next tournament, uh, and I think the one after that. The next tournament's in the states. The next cricket walk up, I think. Is that right? Actually, actually that will be interesting. Yeah. Will the uh, you know all the the tech diaspora of the United States save cricket? Interesting. Next World Cup's in the US. Is it? Really? Pretty sure. If it's not, if it's not the next one, it's the one after that. Right. Um, and actually, I forgot to mention when we were talking about rugby, the one the, the World Cup after the one we host, so 2031, I suppose, that's also in the States. So right. the U.S. suddenly a little dabbling in these foreign sports. Good on them. Yeah, look, it's, uh, look you know, not unlike the Rugby World Cup, the cricket one drags and drags and drags, and there's less excuse for cr- the cricket one to drag than there is the uh, the, the rugby. But um, anyway, uh, well, looking towards T20 and the, the future of the game, let's, be, let's face it, is the T20, I agree. Cricket Australia has uh, seen at least some of the writing on the wall and moved to retain uh, some Australian cricket stars for the BBL, the domestic 2020 tournament, obviously. So not that long ago, Pat Cummins and Manus Labashin got offered three-year contracts, and Cricket Australia doesn't often uh, do multi-year contracts. Travis Head, Steve Smith, question mark, curiosity. Green, Stark, Carey and Hazelwood all got two years. Uh, and actually, Andrew McDonald, the coach, got four years. Hopefully that that goes okay. So yeah, I think the idea here is was was there the cricket Australia's fending off at least for now this overseas uh, interest that is that is coming from the overseas twenty twenty uh, tournaments. So it'd be interesting to see how effective that is. It will be. I just want to go back about three and a half minutes in time sure. and say that the next the next cricket World Cup will be held in South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Namibia. Right, yeah, and the following the one in the states. U- the, no, no, the USA. He's going to host, where is it? I've, I found it a second ago and I've lost it, a, a, a T20 World Cup. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Mm. Makes more sense, doesn't which, it? Which means that the that tech Indian diaspora will be all about 2020 and 50 over cricket. It's still dead. Yeah. Well, the ICC will have something to say about that as well, obviously. But um, On the, the contract point, Rochi, yeah. interesting that, um, you know, the multi-year deal aspect that you mentioned. So Cam, Cam Green is an interesting one. So he signed up for a two-year deal. Yeah. Been a bit of talk around him maybe playing too much cricket. He obviously signed that massive IPL deal. Uh, I think he was Australia's highest paid IPL player. And he has looked pretty rusty um, since then and has, you know, has been in and out of the test side, hasn't been playing great for the 50 over side. So I wonder whether... The, the Australian selectors might say to him, you know, should you be playing IPL next time around? Or maybe have a little bit of a break. Yeah, it will be interesting to see the effect of those contracts as to whether 
it written into them is these mm. um, Cricket Australia's ability to say, uh uh-uh, you sign up to us. I doubt it, but yeah. I doubt it too. With restraint of trade, something like that there, Jono? I just Throw some he, legal terms at us. I just don't think he would agree to it. I mean, there's such yeah. so much bigger money in the uh, the IPL. And the Saudis, I think, are talking about creating a tournament. The UAE's got one. It's, South Africa have got a new one. It's a lot of money. It's everywhere. Floating around out there. It's a scourge. It's a scourge on the 50-over game. <laughs> back, back in my day, we played cricket for 10 days. That's a, you know, we didn't stop until everybody got out look, twice. We're not, we're not, well, I'm not that old, Riley. I'm not sure about you, but um, I was going to say back in my day, when you were none for 60 off 15, that was seen as that a good result. <laughs> Marsh and Booney doing their yeah. job. Yeah. Got to see off the new ball. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was interested in a quote from um, Stoinis, uh, Marcus Stoinis, who said before the World Cup, apparently getting this out of the Oz, uh, that he and Cricket Australia had some honest conversations about the future of the game, how things were changing pretty quickly, but he was comfortable with the relationships he had with, with Ronnie. You know who Ronnie is? Ronnie McDonald. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And Bales. George Bailey. Yes. Yeah. Head of the NSP. Ooh. The NSP. Yeah, I hate this acronym. Back in my day. Is it something about performance? No. Nah. Nah. Back in my day, we called them just the selectors. Now they're the national, national selection selectors panel. Uh, 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 NSP. Have been for a few years, mind you. This is not, not new. But anyway, it's Bales who's the selector. So this is a story. We just talk pretty openly and play things live, whatever that means, as things come across. Everyone wants the best for everyone. Quote, unquote. Can I just say that again? Everyone wants the best for everyone. Now, Stoin. Is, isn't that isn't that how wars start when everyone wants the best for everyone? Or, or, uh, or should no, I adopt? Really. Should I adopt that as my new motivational quote? Yeah, is he the sharpest tool in the shed, Stoin? I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah. Everyone wants the best for everyone. That's up there with elite honesty. Moving on in the shootout to Olympic sports. Uh, well, we're actually onto the Olympics, but still on cricket because cricket is one of five new sports being added to the roster for the LA 2028 Games. Now, it's returning to the Olympics. Did you know this? It was part of the Olympics in 1900. Mm. The only time. So here's a little bit of trivia for you. Well, I'll, I'll ask you the question. Who is the current, which country is the current cricket Olympic champions? <laughs> I'd have to go with England. Steve, are your thoughts? Uh, it's a USA. Oh, it's a good try. I think USA is the current rugby Olympic champion uh, from a, oh, from wow. a very sim- similar era. Era, sorry. Uh, it is England, Jono. Good get. Um, look, it's worth digging in your own time, digging into that the, the game because, in fact, only England and France turned up with cricket teams. <laughs> the Aussies didn't play. No, Belgium and another European oh. country were supposed to be turning up, but they didn't. I reckon we would have gone all right. And it wasn't – well, you'd like to think so. And it wasn't actually a selected side, a selected national side. It was basically a touring side. So some country a, a, a mob from Devon who were on the continent, they went to the Olympics and they That's represented uh, England. And the, some gold medals. I think the French team um, were essentially just all a bunch of expat poms anyway. Nice. So uh, I um, think the, the French team thought they were turning up for a game of croquet <laughs> and the pronunciation of croquette Indeed. became cricket and uh, that's why they lost. Maybe that's why we call a, a dodgy uh, shot a French cut or a, Could be. the, the, the oh, poorer form of the nice. game, French cricket. French cricket. I yeah. think there's something in that. But uh, yeah, anyway. So on to the other sports that have become Olympic or will become Olympic sports uh, for LA. Uh, squash, which apparently this is on its fifth attempt. 
baseball and softball. So mm-hmm. I think softball was a return. For a long time. Yeah, yeah. I think they got dropped last they time. They did, yeah, yeah. Maybe the time before that as well. So they're back in town. Yep. Flag football, which is NFL. It's a kind of touch it's NFL. A touch, grab, exactly. Grab the flag. We have our own version of flag, touch footy uh, yep. you know, in Australia. But uh, yeah, this will be the NFL version. Lacrosse, which I must say, I thought only US college kids played. That's that's what I think of when I think of lacrosse. Mm. Could be very wrong. You familiar with the lacrosse, Jono? You can I, picture what's, I can what picture goes on a lacrosse, lacrosse racket, you know, yeah. I think. But what about you, Steve? Have you taken in much lacrosse in your time? Oh, you know, only only looking at the US college stuff from time to time. I mean, it, it feels very much like field hockey when you when you look at the American coverage of it. Mm. So, yeah, fair enough, I guess. So thoughts on these inclusions? Look, I think Nothing controversial for mine. It's a return to a little bit of tradition compared to the 2024 Paris exactly. game inclusion. They've got Flipping sports climbing. skateboarding, climbing, surfing. Yeah, surfing in sure Paris. I mean, it's actually going to be in Tahiti. I guess that's French Polynesia. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, breakdancing. You'd be a big fan of that, Richie. So that's yes, we've covered it. Did did um, ballroom dancing that missed out? I think missed out. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Do yeah. they get rid of any? I mean, sure. Is it there'd be trial and error for some of them? I think they're on you know trials. Sure, it should be like late night at the nightclub, one in one out kind of stuff. Otherwise, mm. you just get too top heavy and it becomes ridiculous. I mean, I have they got rid of synchronized swimming yet? Still there, I think. Uh, yeah. Actually, I that came in in LA, you know. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure 84? 84, I think that was, it was debut. So maybe it's time for it to head out the door. You know you're getting old when you remember a games of a city <laughs> that's now about to host another one. <laughs> <laughs> this, so um, my, uh, my wife's uncle, is that uncle-in-law? I'm not sure. He feels gypped. He remembers going out to watch the parade of the uh, the, the Olympic torch run past uh, his house in Maitland in uh, to a couple of hours north of Sydney back in 1956. And they told him, they're very clear, this is a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> opportunity. And then he saw it again in 2000. And now, 2032, he's beginning to think oh, that man. they were kidding. <laughs> that, that deceptive and misleading conduct by the Australian Olympic Committee. Oh, bloody AOC. You can't trust him, can you, eh? Tell, telling you lies <laughs> like it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. <laughs> uh, dear. And, of course, look, you know, while I'm talking about things that should go, golf should never have been added in the first place, and tennis is probably a bit iffy as well. But um, anyway, so five new sports there coming to the Olympics, uh, coming to you in uh, 2028. Next up in the shootout, I want to talk racing. Again, to, to my point earlier in the, in the show, uh, October, usually the fallow time in Australian sport, unless, of course, you're a fan of horsepower because we have the Bathurst 1000 and we have uh, the Spring Racing Carnival down in Melbourne and, and you know equivalent kind of races up here in Sydney um, where uh, Foreign Against HQ is located. I've just let that slip, haven't I? Um, but what got me wanting to talk about racing is this Peter Volanders guy. He is incredible. So the, when the Everest was brought in, so for those who aren't racing fans, uh, the richest race on turf, I think, in the world, $20 million prize money, fantastic concept where there's 12 slots people own those slots and then could on sell them or they can sort of you know they, they arrange for which horse is going to fill it and they can get paid for it it's great it's like a capital's dream i was a bit cynical about it at first it seems like Volandis was just trying to disrupt the the traditional vrc uh, melbourne spring carnival but this everest race is incredible have you seen footage of it jono this 40 not, no. riles did you see any, any footage of the everest in sydney Forty eight thousand people you, yeah you get impressed. You're, you get impressed by something like that up there, dude. No. <laughs> um, Forty-eight thousand people, most of whom are under thirty. It's just bringing a, 
a newish crowd to racing. Volandis is talking about adding another layer to the main grandstand at Ramwick so he can bring in 60,000 people. Now, how much of his talk converts to reality remains to be seen. But uh, he has done some incredible things for racing. I'm not saying as a Melbourne person, Steve, you should necessarily be a fan. But um, I just wanted to give Volandis a little bit of a tip, tip of the hat, you know, He's, he's You're trying to wind Riles up about a little bit of that. Melbourne, a little bit of that. Can, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I don't need to get wound up. I mean, Flemington will get double that four times in a week. So, so I mean, that debate it doesn't yeah, you know, sure. even get started. The re- but it's a pretty good effort. I've got to say, Peter Volandis, <laughs> he, he's noisy. He gets some attention, and you know, he certainly is able to offer a lot of prize money. So. It's it's good for uh, it's good for the industry. Now, Jono, the real reason I brought racing was with the Melbourne Cup approaching and more pertinently scheduled to jump before our next show. Mm. Uh, it'd obviously be remiss of me not to indulge in our annual reminder to Steve of just how unlucky he is not being able to go to work on Melbourne Cup Day uh, yes. because he lives <laughs> in that city, unlike the rest of us who get to treat uh, a Tuesday like a Friday deep in December. So. Um, John, obviously, given you quite sensibly choose to live in Sydney. The official start of the silly season? It, the well. official start of the silly season. Well, it seems to have gone a little bit early for me, just quietly, mm, but we, well. we, we had that chapter before we hit record, which is a good idea. So, John, what have you got planned for the big day, and uh, what fashionable get-up can we expect to see you strutting around in? Well, I've got a little bit of a work conference in the morning, but I think conference. it rolls into lunch. So I'll be over in Alexandria, the grounds at Alexandria. Yeah, and in a city, look, Sydney. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think, um, I don't know, probably I'll go a pocket square. <laughs> in a jacket and like a tie less, I think. So a nice crisp yeah. white shirt, uh-huh. nice jacket and a pocket square. Maybe, some, that, maybe that, some chinos. That crisp white shirt you got going yeah, there? Something, like, something that. like that. Might lose a couple of buttons as well. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Oh, oh, what about, what about you, Reggie? <laughs> yeah, well, we've uh, we booked a bit of a team bonding session uh, in, uh, in the Rocks, at a, at a licensed venue in the Rocks that is, um, you know, promoting their Melbourne Cup special, as every licensed premises t- tends to do. Uh, yeah, so it's a three-hour go-your-hardest package. Starts at midday. Obviously, mm. the race jumps at three. So that should be interesting. I hadn't thought too much, because you know I'm nowhere near as fashionable as you, so I hadn't really thought that through too much. But I think I do have still in my pocket square that um, we wore for your wedding, so maybe I'll drag that out. You should, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, Maybe some happy socks. I'm not mm. usually a happy socks person. But and the fancy duds. Yeah, I'll probably have the suit on, Yeah, which is a bit boring. But anyway, Steve, what will you be wearing on Melbourne Cup Day? Ah, <laughs> uh, T-shirt and shorts at one of the local pubs. It'll be it'll be great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, go the Melbourne Cup. What a great cultural <laughs> phenomenon it is. Yes, Steve. I'll, I'll tell you just something about Peter Volandis. He's been invited to join uh, the Prime Minister at a White House lunch uh, sometime soon. Oh, really? Can, can you imagine the force of nature, Peter Volandis, what he's going to do yeah. With Joe Biden, you know, there's, what does he do? Does he does he promote rugby league in Vegas? Does he say, look, the Everest is now touring and it's gonna mm. it's gonna be held in a state in competition with the Kentucky Derby? Mm. What will Peter Volanders do with that opportunity? Wow, so much to speculate on. We'll find out <laughs> when it actually happens. And lastly, on uh, the shootout, John, I wanted to cover this one. It's been threatened for a while, but it's now confirmed that Sydney's Moore Park Golf Course will be cut in half with nine holes. Hold your horses. With nine holes, I've got to explain it to everyone before you get in, with nine holes being converted to publicly accessible green space. Now, uh, just for context, Moore Park Golf Course, uh, near the CBD of Sydney, maybe a couple of kilometres out of the CBD. It's actually quite near the SCG, for those who know Sydney a bit. 
Uh, there's also lots of units nearby. They've sort of redone a whole lot of industrial area adjacent to the golf course. John, I can see you jamming the bit there. You'll get your chance in a sec. Um, now, look, probably bad planning in the first place, not to have the requisite amount of green space for all these massive units, but nonetheless, part of the reason for Moore Park Golf Club being cut in half is to give uh, a bit more green space for all the new residents in the area. And, uh, look, you know, again, this is another example we talked about earlier in the show of, uh, you know, powers that be listening to for and against and enacting change based on our, uh, our, our deep analysis of these issues. It's almost too soon to be talking about this, Rochi. I'm, oh, I'm in mourning. Like, I'm a former member of Moore Park, yeah, Royal Moore Park, I would call it. Yeah. Um, fantastic memories there. It's a sad day for the members of uh, Royal Moore Park. I think this is a hysterical overreaction. <laughs> For and, and some of the reporting is genuinely outrageous. I oh. mean, there's front page articles saying that you know seven percent of Sydney's eastern suburbs are covered by golf courses. Well, that golf may courses. be factually correct. Though, it may Jono. well be. It may, may well be factually be. correct. <laughs> and that you know, <laughs> and that I don't know. Hysterical, that's the yeah, hysterical reporting of facts. <laughs> <laughs> but do go on. If they touch any of the other golf courses, there, I'm moving states. I'm just out of here. Ooh, yeah. promises, promises. Yeah. All right, Ken, do I have a sporting capital of the universe? <laughs> well, look, I was also encouraged by, the, in the article I read about it, the hysterical article, obviously, Jono, uh, that there are 15 other government-owned courses in the broader Sydney area, and I'm just itching to find out which ones they are, and indeed any courses throughout Australia that are able to be reconfigured uh, in this way at the stroke of a governmental pen because there's just far too much land given over to a perfectly legitimate pursuit, Jono, and people are perfectly entitled to pursue it, but 7% of the eastern suburbs is golf courses. Jeepers creepers. Be worth a few bucks. I reckon. There's whole suburbs in there. You take off from Sydney or you land in Sydney and look at all that. It's just beautiful. It's such a great sight. But look, jokes aside, some of the more expensive ones or the, the, the flasher ones would be privately owned, so the land is not... You know, the government has not no able to be resumed. Thank yeah. you. That's the expression I was after. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we just need to focus on those other 15 and, you know, put a few houses on and some green space as well. I, look, I do think it's interesting that it's dropping to, to nine holes. So I, I did wonder if if uh, a few golf courses would, would have a crack at, at 12 holes, just just try and eke out a, a little more than, than half. Um, you know, 18 holes takes a long time. You know, four plus hours on a weekend, you might you might might take you six hours to get in there, get early, have a drink after. You know, I thought shortening it might might be good for the game. The problem with a twelve hole golf course is that you can't play live golf on it because fifty four L I V. That's how they get the name oh. live golf fifty four because it's fifty four holes. Well, eighteen times three. Or six times nine. So your eighteen holes, and your nine holes works. Twelve holes, nine holes works. You're so right. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Future of golf right there. Yeah. All right. Well, um, good luck <laughs> holding the fort there, Jono, with all that green space. Fighting uh, the good fight, Richard. Hey, oh, you keep doing that. And now it's time for a red card, yellow card, where we enjoy poking fun at sporting types who have tripped up, who have erred, who've done something silly, who would rather it was dead and buried. But it's our job to put it back in the spotlight. Stephen Riley, what have you got for your nomination for Red Card, Yellow Card, this show? Uh, look, you know, I, I had a couple of, of interesting... Um, I don't like it when Steve starts Red Card, Yellow Card like this. Yeah, dangerous. you're not going like to like this one either. But I, I just yeah, I actually changed my pick uh, halfway through the show. When you mentioned yeah. Marcus Stoinis and, and his uh, commercial negotiations and him leading the philosophical fight with, uh, with Cricket Australia... It just had me thinking about something I noticed the other day in the papers, and I thought my nomination is Marcus Stoinis. Marcus 
and his, I think, girlfriend is a wife. Were um, partner. They were roaming the streets of New York City when just a random dude apparently said, "Can I can I can I take your photo? Can I take your photo for my blog?" And you know, Marcus. And, knowing and who Marcus was, sorry. Not not right. knowing who he was. Mm-hmm. Not knew, not knowing Some who he was. And 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 Marcus is trying to put on that uh, they thought it was just a fun thing to do on on holidays. But seriously, those guys were dressed up to the nines. But you know, Marcus Stoinis, he, he does like to, uh, to to strut the catwalk, I think. And the two put on a show, and it turns out that the dude is basically a well-known street photographer. I don't think he set it up, but Adam Swar, when he's commented on it on on X, has just gone on about you know, uh, the guy doesn't know he's photographing royalty. And I can tell you, when you look at the way Stoyner struts his stuff, he enjoyed this. He enjoyed this a lot. It, I, it just He's a man he enjoys it so much. I think it, it's worth a card. It's worth a card. A yellow card for saying, just you know wandering the streets looking good, Ross. That's that's. Oh, John does some it every day. Some of us can't help it. We don't. We don't get people to take photos anyway. <laughs> Radio, right, yeah. fair enough. Yellow card for Stoyners. Interesting, <laughs> Jono. Well, I don't know how I beat that, but um, I'm nominating. I the, you have a chance. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm nominating NFL player Kansas City Chiefs Travis Kelch. Ah, yeah. Is that how you pronounce oh. it? Travis. Don't. Travis is a genuine superstar of American football. He's a tight end for the Chiefs. He's won two Super Bowls. Scored touchdowns in both. He's an eight-time Pro Bowler. I don't know what that means. Sounds good though, doesn't it? Eight-time <laughs> eight Pro Bowler, times. Yeah. and he's one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Sure. But in recent months, Travis has started dating the little-known American singer who is clearly struggling for publicity, Taylor Swift. It's created a media and PR firestorm the likes of which hasn't been seen since Posh Spice hooked up with Golden Balls himself, David Beckham. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Celebrity watchers have been salivating over every sighting of this new couple, and so far, things have been going pretty well. Uh But Travis, I am telling you, needs to beware. Tay-Tay has a terrible record with her ex-boyfriends, chewing them up and spitting them out. Jake Gyllenhaal, John Mayer, Harry Styles, Calvin Harris, many, many The list goes on. Anyway, I'm just nominating Travis for a clearly cynical PR move to start dating Tay-Tay and improve his uh, social media outputs. Can I just say, Simon, I I feel sorry for you. (laughs) I mean, if, if... when did you stop believing in love? <laughs> uh, where, what, where, what happened to your your belief in romance and true love? Uh, you know, you know. I'm going to send you a playlist of Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> I'm going to the concert. I can't wait. It's going to be a cruel, it's going to be a cruel summer love story. Oh, chances. Just shake it off, Ross. Get get tickets to yourself, yourself or you... I'm taking uh, 13 and 10 year old daughters so you, you were the ones tapping the uh, the bike oh, yeah. key it was very stressful oh, right, well done stressful couple of hours though. that was a sport in and of itself it was yeah. Uh, yeah okay interesting and, and look good to see a bit of um, love advice sneaking its way into a red card yellow card as well mm. doesn't happen often alright my nomination is uh, Clayton Oliver well actually no I shouldn't have said that look Clayton Oliver, just pretend I said the nomination bit because I'm actually not sure where the nomination falls here. I'm going to crowdsource it with you guys. Clayton Oliver, who's the gun midfielder for the Melbourne Demons, is, so the rumour currently goes, uh, struggling somewhat with allegedly questionable substances or or personal circumstances, as the club's media unit has uh, politely put it. So 
with the man down, uh, what better time to reveal the uh, the shock, the breaking news that, uh, well, <clears throat> let me read you some selected quotes from the Breathless Fox Sports slash News Corp article I, I, I read um, by staff writers, whatever that means. What, what's, what are you supposed to... What's that telling you when staff writers write an article that's made up? Can't afford to hire journos anymore. Just copy and paste from someone else. Journo doesn't want to put his name to it. Yeah, or, or, yeah, fair enough. Demon star Clayton Oliver has been accused of a bizarre act of messing with car windscreen wipers. Bizarre? I mean, it's silly, irresponsible maybe. Whoa, the, red card. The red Herald card. Sun on Friday first reported the bizarre claim. Again, bizarre. I mean, if it's if it's true, it's a fairly rational claim. Uh, the bizarre claim made against Oliver relating to an off-season training session or after an off-season training session in Yarra Park in Melbourne last year. Uh, as I say, he's been accused of bending windscreen wipers on parked cars in a side street. Fairly puerile pursuit. Uh, apparently, one of Oliver's teammates uh, had to apologise to one resident uh, who uh, was who confronted the uh, the four-time best and fairest winner. So um, I don't know. Do we nominate Oliver for the silly deed? Do we nominate News Corp for for running this rubbish uh, way outside footy season, or do we nominate all the Aussie Rules fans who think way too much about footy in the off season and thereby feed this beast? How dare you! <laughs> all of the how above. do you how do you fill sixteen pages at the back of the newspaper in the off season? This is how, my friend. This is I true sport. I do have to go to Melbourne a couple of times before stuff. Christmas. So I should be mm. careful, shouldn't I? Uh, no, look, Oliver, obviously Clayton Oliver does get a, a, a yellow card for for pretty childish kind of thing. I mean, I remember school kids doing it, but... Uh, it's it, not ideal. He's not obviously real. struggling, I think. Yeah. So not, not not our best red card, yellow card, I don't think, uh, this this show, but there's a... Speak f- for yourself. Oh, yeah, actually yours is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, we've got models, <laughs> we've got it. true love, yeah. and, you know, and then you brought up something about mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, anyway, uh, some, some, I'm sure there's lots of things to think about there for everybody in those red card, yellow card nominations. Don't forget, you can send us yours via the hashtag RCYC. Uh, and indeed, you can find us generally on Twitter at foreignagainst underscore. Uh, you can actually email us as well. I keep forgetting about this. We do have an email address, forandagainst, F-O-R-A-N-D, against at hotmail.com, just to show you how backward we are. We've, we've sticking with Hotmail. And on Insta, for.and.against. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. See you later, Stephen Riley. See you, Paul. See you, Simon. See you, everyone. See you, Jono. Good to have you back in the saddle after a little bit of hiatus there. Great to be back in the saddle, Richie. See you later. It is, uh, yes, good to be back in the the for and against saddle once again, indeed. Thank you once again for your company. And until next time, in a couple of weeks' time, it's bye for now. Bye for now.